Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, the bust at the beach is the Blues blank at Bournemouth. Seriously, though, who's going to score some goals? Uh, we'll pad it out with some other stuff, too. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. <sighs> Even Romelu Lukaku scores this weekend crazy days. Uh, we're back to go through another pretty unsuccessful weekend in the world of Chelsea Football Club. Uh, I am disappointed to say Chelsea going to the Vitality in search of some virility. They didn't find it though. We're going to talk through, I was going to say the best bits. We'll talk through some stuff that happened in the game. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Athletics Chelsea expert, fresh from Bournemouth, Simon Johnson. How are you doing? At least it stopped raining during the game. That was my highlight. Yeah, yeah. Um, Luke Bosch is back with us too. Luke, at least we managed to stay dry for the entirety of this match. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling surprisingly upbeat, Matt, considering how Chelsea played on Sunday and it's basically the end of summer now uh, for another six months. All right, well, let's see what we can do about that upbeatedness over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, let's play in the highlights from Sunday's game, shall we? Simon on the south coast. Sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Then the heavens opened and the damn match had to start. Let's get a voice note. Can I go back in the away end? Even Lampard managed to win against Bournemouth. I think, you know, you have to say this is a pretty woeful disappointing start of the season. I can actually see Chelsea fans in the away end. They're uh, gesturing a little bit angrily, animatedly towards the Chelsea players. I can't tell whether they're just disappointed that they haven't gone over to them to give them a shirt or whether they're genuinely annoyed about how poor that performance was. Um, Nil-nil. And to be honest, they were sort of hanging on by the end. Yes, there are injury problems at Chelsea. They're without, I think, double figures worth of players to injury. It feels very much like a broken record and I'm sort of saying similar things after disappointing results last season but you have to say that it wasn't just the result here it was the manner of performance it was very slow very sluggish very ineffective in the final third yeah there were a few things that perhaps could have gone their way Raheem Sterling's free kick in particular was one of the few moments of genuine quality uh, it came off what looked like bar and post and then Colwell put the rebound in and some flags offside, but it just doesn't look like the bright sort of what we were seeing in pre-season from Pochettino's team. It was full of sort of quick, fast-paced football, 
yes, the caveat being that was pre-season, but they genuinely looked like a team that was coming together, and we saw more signs of that against Liverpool and so on. But uh, over the last few weeks, uh, either side of the international break, not in Forest now this, you have to say that the signs are worrying, that um, Chelsea's struggling against low quality opposition. Uh, forgive me for saying that, but, but teams that are expected to be in relegation um, sort of battles. Um, Chelsea are looking to be inside in the top four or five. Well, the way they're playing, they look like they're a team that would be happy just to be outside the bottom four or five. Um, I try not to go too overboard, but I'm struggling. At least the sun's come out. It's pouring down the rain start of the game. It's, everyone's now leaving in glorious sunshine. This is me desperately trying to uh, ramble on, saying something nice. Perhaps there's a caveat too that Nicholas Jackson and Enzo Fernandez, two of Chelsea's brightest sparks in the opening weeks, um, looked well off it um, today and maybe the international break all their travels kind of play a, played a part in that. Fernandez, that's just quite a game as I've seen him have. For Chelsea just just wasn't involved at all. And Jackson, that's his worst game for Chelsea by a long, long way. Um, just looked short of zip, short of energy, rushed off the ball very easily, and that was part of Chelsea's problem. They couldn't really pose a threat in behind because Jackson wasn't able to, seemed to me, mount a sprint. So, uh, yeah, on to uh, brighter things with Chelsea's terrible home form. Um, back under Mike's coat next week against Aston Villa. But, yeah, from what I could tell with the away fans, patience is already starting to run out a little bit. The chance of attack, attack, attack said it all in the first half. Let's see if um, Pochettino can uh, get some players back during the week from injury and, and come out with a solution because uh, this isn't good enough. Slow, sluggish, ineffective in the final third and Nicholas Jackson's worst game by a long way. Crikey. Uh, Luke, when the team came out, we saw two changes from the game against Forest: Mudrik and Ugachukwu in, Caicedo and Chilwell out, the former injured on international duty. That's quite a big change-up for Maurizio Pochettino to make that that many changes. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw it? I guess the other headline was the fact that Conor Gallagher was captain even though Thiago Silva was playing. Yeah, I think... I like what Pochettino's trying to do in that he's trying to keep a settled team week in, week out, despite having quite a big squad ostensibly, you know, not not really thinking about the injuries right now. And I think that will help long-term build chemistry between a lot of the players that are new new to the club and new to the Premier League as well. Uh, I liked Conor Gallagher's inclusion uh, as a number 10. I like the fact that he captained the side. I think that shows a degree of forward planning because Thiago Silva is... You know, a great defender, as we've talked about, but is not a long-term Chelsea player. Mudrik coming in, you know, I thought that was a good show of confidence. But then, you know, you look at Chelsea's bench and you're like, well, who else could have come in apart from Mudrik and Ugo Chipwu uh, because of the the injury issues? And to be honest, it was a starting lineup that filled me with optimism that was not not how the game went in the end. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Chelsea, 64% possession, 14 shots, six of those on target. Simon's post-match piece for The Athletic is entitled How Not to Score a Goal, a short story by Chelsea Football Club. On that, we've had some tweets from you guys. Christian asks, keen to hear any theories as to why players seem to turn so indecisive slash hesitant in front of goal the moment they put on a Chelsea shirt. Uh, Srinath, on a similar note, asking why do Chelsea attackers seem so scared to take risks and shoot in the final third. Do you think that is the case, Simon, or is it just highlighted by the fact that, you know, whenever it happens, we we sort of cast our minds back to, to last season and, and the horror that was? Well, I, th- I think in the case of some players, it, it, it's a hangover, I believe. So um, it's hard to get into their minds, but confidence. I, I just think everything about this club, this squad at the moment is about confidence. And you can see the lack of it whenever the goal looms into view. They they get into some nice positions in the final third and whether it be the final pass, the final cross, the final shot, just seems to be lacking in any sort of real belief. Yes, there were some some misfortune. I mean, Raheem Sterling's free kick is, you could argue, just sort of sums it up a little bit that even when someone gets it right, things go against them. I mean, it was... That was a hat-trick of a different kind, wasn't it? Bar post, goal line. And then you could even add the offside element as as sort of like going into extra time in in bad fortune. Levi had just moved a bit too early when the free kick was taken. But there there are other factors as well that that perhaps the chopping and changing just in terms of training, all the numbers that are dropping like flies, perhaps that's having an effect on Pochettino being able to work on things uh, during the week. Maybe the lack of options off the bench as well plays a part because who did he really realistically have to come on to score a goal for them? But I'm trying to find something here. (laughs) I'm, I'm digging into the depths. But what is very noticeable and what was very noticeable on Sunday, again, was the fans' patience is already running out. The frustration was audible at so many times. You can see the the angry gestures and the and obviously there were boos at the final whistle. But again, I think they're struggling with what they're seeing because it, it just feels like more of the same. Uh yeah, we'll hear from it's Maurizio Pochettino shortly on on that booing. Uh, Luke, I do feel like there is a legitimate caveat here in that this game comes off the back of the international break. And I felt that was quite well illustrated by Enzo Fernandez, who looked like a player who'd been playing at altitude in Bolivia a couple of days previously. And and when you've got the kind of injury list that Chelsea have and he has to play, that's going to significantly impact how your team perform, right? Yeah, I think La Paz is one of the highest capital cities in the world. Um, So some sympathy for Enzo there. And I think Lewis Cook, Bournemouth's uh, vice-captain, spoke after the game about how he'd been tasked with man-marking Enzo. So I think you can kind of see what Bournemouth were trying to do there in terms of, you know, under Iraola, they're a very disruptive team. You know, they press high, they win the ball, create turnovers. And Enzo looked a little bit tired, but and didn't really get on the ball and dominate as much as we have seen him do in Chelsea's opening, you know, three or four games. Even when the results and performances haven't been as good, he has still shone out. And he had some nice touches, don't get me wrong. Um, He still looked like a quality player, but I think, as you say, Matt, the international break, bit of a hangover there. And Chelsea's lack of options at central midfield meant that he needed help from his teammates and that was not forthcoming. 
either on the pitch or in terms of the options that Pochettino had. I think it would have been quite a statement to not start Fernandez even after the international break. But yeah, there was there was no plan B. I mean, Ian Martin coming on yet again, not coming on for minutes at left back, coming on as a number eight. And I thought even when Fernandez came off as sort of average as he'd been by his own high standards, I think Chelsea did lose a degree of control in the game. And as Si mentioned, they were almost hanging on by the end. And I think, you know, Martin's a good player, but, he, you know, he, he can't dictate uh, the play as much as Enzo can. So I, I wouldn't be too worried about Fernandez's performance in terms of what it means going forward. But, you know, there is a slight caveat to that is if Chelsea can be locked down like that by a simple man marking job, you know, other teams, you know, got Villa on Sunday, you know, look at that. That's a potential blueprint for for stopping Chelsea and throttling them. All right. Well, the visiting supporters, or some of them at least, weren't particularly happy uh, with the result. There was some booing toward the players at the final whistle. Simon Asmaritzio Pochettino about that in the post-match press conference. Let's hear what the Chelsea boss had to say. There was an incident at the end after the final whistle where Ben Chilwell was walking over to the away fans. They seemed to be booing and he seemed to be apologising, holding his hands up like that. Can you understand why fans were really showing I didn't, so I didn't see it. Yeah. But can you can you understand why the fans are sort of because it's expectation? Yeah. No, I think the fans know. <laughs> if you invest the type of you know the money that the people create in the in the media, okay, yes, it's true. But this is expectation. If you know win, it's normally the fans are not happy. But the circumstance, the, what I can tell the fans is the circumstance that we cannot change. The reality we cannot change. We have many players and and of course we are a team that we are we will be strong if we are all together even manchester city arsenal and company all the the teams uh, with a normal circumstance with all the squad fit of course can compete for everything but why is different for us why is different is is because what we don't have all the squad available from the beginning of the season what we can do for me, nothing to say. The fan can do whatever they want. We know what we need to do. We are strong in our belief. Bad luck because we have 12 insurance and today, yes, plus Cucurella that you asked me, or Noni or Caicedo, yes. And then we have three, four young guys, two keeper on the on, on the bench. Okay. I'm going to cry, I'm going to to complain. Again who? I need to accept this, the challenge and and keep being positive. And of course, uh, Bournemouth is a good team, is going to compete. Every team is going to compete and it's going to be difficult. But fair or not fair, that is the circumstance that we need to accept and we need to be positive, uh, patient. We are not going to change in the way that we, we are going to do the scene. And, and then we have our opinion, our reality. And if we assess the team under our opinion, our reality, with all the circumstances, I think we are we are doing very, very, very good things. More than the the people can expect. But Chelsea expectation is about to win. I told you when before the before the season, Chelsea is about to win. We are creating something that we need to believe. Young guys that need to feel what means to be a player of the of Chelsea player, and of course, uh, what means to play in Premier League. I can understand the emotion. Football is about the emotion. It's the emotion was, of course, to complain because we didn't win, but nothing more. The, the fans, for sure, they are going to, 
to help the team Sunday to, to win the game against Aston Villa. They are being behind the, the, the team. Simon, how, how was his demeanour in the press conference, Maurizio Pochettino? Was he catchy? Was he just disappointed? Was he kind of straight batting everything? I found his reply to my question quite telling without sort of giving myself airs or graces. I felt like I'd hit a nerve because, yeah, he, he obviously his initial response was I didn't see it. And I went, well, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, what about what happened? And he, he's proceeded to talk for two or three minutes like for a post-match press conference that, that's quite a long answer to one question and it was probably frustrated some of my colleagues actually because <laughs> they're, they're always they're always quite short and perhaps not very sweet on this occasion but they're always quite short post-match presses because managers obviously have other people to talk to but also they just want to get home particularly after a bad result but yeah I, I thought I thought he answered it well in that he was sort of on one hand he was saying look I understand where the fans are coming from you know, football's about emotion. I get it. But then he he is increasingly over the last few weeks starting to hammer home this sort of process. He's starting to come up with, I'm not going to say the word excuses, but he's starting to move away a little bit from the, we have to win, no excuses to, well, actually we have to win, but I've got all these players that are injured and, it's a process and it's going to take time and blah, blah, blah. So he's starting to sort of shift a little bit, sort of saying, well, there are reasons for this. And he's right, you know, like the injury list is ridiculous and it, it is sort of affecting what changes you can make, not only to the first 11, but as I said, to what changes you can make during the match. But you can tell it's getting to him as it should do. I mean, one win out of five games is is not good enough. He knows that. And he knows that he has to get a win against Aston Villa on home soil. Otherwise, the fan reaction is going to just get worse and worse. Not that this, I think, is directly aimed at him, by the way. I think a lot of the fan reaction is starting to reflect how they think the club is being run and, and what's happened to their club um, since the change of ownership. Mm, the injuries have been a big part of that. Baddy Ashil, Broyer, Chalaba, Chukwamaker, James, Fafana, Lavia and Kunku, Madweke, Kukurea. Caicedo all out of this game, probably missing some as well. Luke, here's Callum with, I think, a really good point. He he asks, how much of an excuse can we make out of injuries when the players on the pitch and bench still cost massively more than Bournemouth's team? And Kunku mentioned a lot, but surely the plan to win games can't solely revolve around him. I feel like they're trying to walk the ball in the net like Arsenal five years ago. That's a really good point on Nkunku, right? Because we keep saying, oh, this is why Chelsea aren't scoring goals. But if you sign a player who has a history of getting injured, you shouldn't then be that surprised when he gets injured and you have to readjust your plans. Yeah, I think it is a good point, Matt. And I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think the difficulty for Chelsea was that they planned and played most of preseason with Mkunku in the side and had to kind of kind of rip that up on the eve of the new season. And signing Nicholas Jackson, I think, I'm not sure whether he was ever destined or intended to, to be Chelsea's sort of undisputed number nine. He still looks quite raw in what is essentially, you know, still very much his his learning period as a as a senior footballer after only breaking into the the Villarreal side last season. I think, you know, on on the point about you know excuses and and the cost of players, I do think to an extent you have to take a bit of a step back. And I was sort of looking at the Chelsea team that ended last season and the Chelsea team that played um, in that one one draw against Newcastle United to to finish the campaign and. It's just a completely different squad. It's a completely different team. You know, from that starting eleven, 
only Gallagher, Sterling and Enzo Fernandez started this game against Bournemouth. Madueke started the Newcastle game but was injured. Same with Trevor Chalabar. The rest of the team have all left. You know, you, you look at the bench and it's a similar story. Chukwameka and Fofana are still here, but they're injured. Mudrick was an unused sub that day and started against Bournemouth. But the rest of the team, you know, Kovacic, Pulisic, Felix, Ziyech, Kepa, Lewis Hall, you know, so many changes. And I think it's, and to an extent, I'm echoing Mauricio Pochettino here because it does have to be a process when you make those kind of wholesale changes in the space of a summer. You know, you look at a team like Arsenal, you know, I watched the Super Sunday on Sky and Arsenal were on after Chelsea. And I think, you know, they have made changes from when Arteta first came in, but those changes have been more gradual. You know, he's been able to build a chemistry with players like Odegaard, Saliba, Gabriel, you know, even Saka. They've been sort of eased in and now they're gelling. And you look at some of the football that Arsenal are playing, even when they were struggling a little bit, just the one-touch passes. It's just, it's so clear that they're a team that knows what they're about and has that chemistry and Chelsea are lacking that right now. And that's only going to improve with minutes, um, which is why I, I would always urge patience. And and we know Pochettino is a fantastic coach. You know, he's proved that at Tottenham, Southampton, and to an extent at PSG, although there are lots of factors at play there. So, you know, should Chelsea fans expect more from the spending? Maybe, but, you know, look at someone like Leslie Ugachukwu, who's bought from Wren. Yeah, he was bought for, you know, quite a few million pounds, but He's a very raw player. He's, he's still a teenager. You know, you buy him, you buy his potential rather than, you know, you're not buying a finished product, but he's having to come in, do a job, act as, you know, Chelsea's most defensive midfielder in a game against Bournemouth who are renowned for high pressing. I think, again, something like Pochettino, there are a lot of excuses, I think, that you can make for Chelsea. And I'm not too worried as it stands. I also think that Bournemouth, we, you know, we haven't really talked about them, but they're a good side. I think I watched them play against Tottenham a few weeks ago. They've had a very difficult start to the season. They still haven't won yet, but they've played sort of five difficult games, did well against Brentford before the international break. So I don't know. I'm not too worried as yet, but as I kind of said, I think patience is wearing a bit thin from a lot of the fans. I think Tottenham are part of the problem, you know, mm. in that Postacoglu come in, he's lost his best player. And yet he's got Tottenham playing lovely stuff and winning every week. So, in, in, understandably, Chelsea fans are going, well, come on, why is this not happening to our, our team, our club? And not only that, Chelsea spent an absolute fortune as opposed to Spurs. So, I think Pochettino's right to sort of say, look, this is going to take time and, and so on. But then when you've got a coach that comes in and makes an instant impact, then people will ask questions. And also... Again, I, I feel like a broken record, but I just think last season is it's just rolled into this one in terms of the the frustration, the disappointment, just between us, to be honest. <laughs> it just feels like, oh no, I'm already morose. I'm already sending Lucy sort of four <laughs> minutes of doom on a as a voice note and just rambling on about how bad everything is. I actually sort of afterwards, I thought, well, have I been a bit harsh? Have I, have I just gone back into... Well, I'm trying to think of the point of last season. I was thinking latter point of the season off the top of my head just now. And then it went, actually, no, from sort of January to May, uh, it felt like I was talking like that. So they just need a win, don't they? They just they just need a win. A bit like the, the Luton victory, which it's scary to think that's their only win. But they just need, they need to beat Villa. They need to lift 
some of the gloom and get people sort of buzzing about about the season again because the longer they wait for the next victory to keep saying I, I think my voice notes are going to go on even longer Lee sorry uh, well Neil wants to know Simon how much patience do you think Poch gets with the ownership and how much will come down to the level of fan toxicity I do firmly believe he's the right person for the job we're playing okay just not finishing our chances history tells you he can't be held responsible for that um, post-international break tends to be when we get the first managerial disquiet rumblings it's, it's Eric Ten Hag at the moment it's not going to be Maurizio Pochettino for a while is it surely no no I mean, I mean well where else would they go <laughs> I, I know people say the same about Abramovich era but but this is not the Abramovich era and I think that's that's another thing that people have to accept those days are gone you know, it's time to wake up. You know, this is a different Chelsea. Guaranteed success is no longer there. Chelsea are going to have to work for it a lot harder, just like everyone else does. No, I can't I can't see, for now anyway, <laughs> Pochettino being under pressure for his job. But after what happened last season, look, they've set the benchmark. You know, they said they'd be different. Speaking about the Bramwich era, they said they'd be different to Bramwich. Well, they ended up doing something Abramovich never did and they sacked two managers in one season. So can we really say that Pochettino is safe regardless? I'm not sure we can because, as was shown last season, they, they said Potter was a part of a long-term process. They'd stick with him. I don't actually have a problem with the decision because I, I think Graham Potter was out of his depth. But they still sacked a guy less than a year into a five-year deal. So... Why would Pochettino be any different? I think, yeah, on that point Sai makes about Chelsea fans wanting guaranteed success, kind of anecdotally. I, you know, I was talking about the football, as you do with, with a couple of mates. Um, I think they were mates that support Aston Villa and Everton uh, were among the clubs. And they were a bit like, what the hell are you complaining about? You've been used to the success for the last two decades. You know, this is what normal normal football clubs, you know, have to go through these periods where you will be pretty bad for like, potentially a year, 18 months longer. And, you know, if if you are lucky enough to get a good manager and a good squad at the same time, you have to savour it when you do. <laughs> so I think it is a bit of a reality check for Chelsea fans and a bit more of a, you know, kind of coming back down to earth, as it were. Yeah, and, and following from Luke's point there, I mean, I remember, because I've been covering this club for so long, um, as my aged appearance uh, shows, <laughs> I remember when Chelsea fans would celebrate just getting to a cup final as if it was the greatest thing in the world. Now it's kind of sort of seen as this divine right almost, like, oh, yeah, if you're not in a cup final, then what's going on? It's all it's all rubbish. I can imagine people listening to this will go, it's very easy for you to say you're just a journalist, right? But I just think that the Chelsea fans do have a role to play in this, that throwing their toys out the pram every time they don't get a good result is not helping. Although I do have sympathy, and I'm sure we're going to get onto it shortly, that there are other things about the club they're not particularly happy with. So it's all sort of a perfect mix. It's all very well making changes to the charging policy, the price policy. But if the team's not winning, then people are going to get even more upset. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Uh, well, we've spoken about the, the Villa game coming next week a little bit, Luke. Sharpie wanted us to have a, a look at the upcoming fixtures. I'll just read out the next eight games. Home to Villa in the league, then home to Brighton in the Cup. Then it's visits to Fulham and Burnley before hosting Arsenal and Brentford. This all by the end of October. I'm looking at these, Luke, and I'm thinking actually maybe those two away games might be the point where the season kickstarts because they look slightly easier fixtures potentially. I suppose we wait and see how Villa get on. They're playing Legia Warsaw, aren't they, on Thursday nights? So that's a bit of an X factor that they've got the midweek game. But but where do you see the points or the wins coming from in that little run? Yeah, I, at your behest, Matt, I did have a look through the fixtures. Um, and obviously it's quite hard to tell. You don't really know who's going to be good in a month's time, but... I'm bizarrely confident about this Aston Villa game, as you say, with their Europa League. They haven't been in Europe for a few years. I do think Unai Emery has put together a larger squad. So I think someone like Moussa Diaby is probably not going to play against Legia Warsaw. But I would expect Villa to be a bit tired after that game. They won't have trained as much in terms of preparing for Chelsea. Um, so I think Chelsea will win. I think we've got a cup game against Brighton in there. I mean, who knows how that'll be. Both teams will probably play completely different 11. So it's kind of a toss of a coin. Fulham, not convinced by them yet this season. Losing Mitrovic, Palinia is there after not going to Bayern. I think they're they're in a little bit of trouble, maybe. Burnley look beyond naive, I think, and Chelsea should definitely win that game. The Fulham game, I think, should be a, at least a point, which is bizarre, remarkable to say that, you know, we might not be looking to win at Craven Cottage. And then Arsenal, I think that's, that's written off. That's a loss. Uh, which is a shame to say, considering the sort of dynamic rivalry that's been built up over the last few years, but they are just streets ahead at the moment. Brentford, very tough game. I think they've they've proven themselves to be a very difficult opposition. They challenged Newcastle really well this weekend. Um, I think that'll be a draw if if we're lucky. <laughs> and then I think playing Spurs and Manchester City, who are kind of playing two, two teams that are playing the best football in the league. So I think Chelsea will really struggle by then. But the you know, the caveat to, to that is if Chelsea have built up some momentum by then, maybe a few victories, maybe they scrape a draw against Arsenal, then particularly the Spurs game, I think maybe could go either way. But, you know, if you look at it now, I wouldn't put any money on Chelsea to get anything uh, from Spurs or City. Uh, famous last words. Um, firstly, can I say, you know, well done, Luke, for doing your homework. Um, <laughs> <laughs> unlike me, late as ever, my tutors will remember that. But maybe, maybe playing the better teams will actually bring out the best in Chelsea. You could argue the um, best performance of the season was the first one against Liverpool, a team that came out and attacked them, which gave them opportunity to 
attack them. There were spaces to run into. Um, their problems, you look at the fixture list and you, you sort of saw this run of games against Leicester opposition, West Ham. Sorry, Matt, again, Nottingham Forest. Stop saying that, please. We've won the same amount of European Cups and you didn't beat us last season. <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's history. Uh, a bit like Chelsea at the moment. Um, but <laughs> I think there'll be two all for a long time to come now, Matt. <laughs> but uh, Bournemouth, most people look at those games and, and they always do, don't they? Look at the fixture list. We always get asked when the fixture list comes out, for example, in June to analyse the opening start to, the, opening start to season, analyse it and people go... People sort of look at those games and go, oh, well, they should be three points. It's, it's never that simple. And actually, these teams have been the hardest to play against because they sit deep and, and Chelsea struggle to break them down. So perhaps playing against the better sides will give them more opportunity to, to attack better. But of course, they're defensively, they're going to be tested a lot more. And the defence has also been part of the problem. We, As I did in my match piece, I focus on the attack, but... You wouldn't say defensively they look uh, very good on Sunday and they, they haven't looked defensively good really since the start of the season. Yeah, albeit Robert Sanchez probably had his best game for Chelsea so far out of Bournemouth. Just on the defence, Luke, Andrew wants to know how long will it take for Silva to step aside, Colwell to move to centre-back and Chilwell to start at left-back. Uh, I feel like we are getting closer to the time where Levi Colwell moves back to his more favoured position because it kind of stunts Chelsea's attacks down that side. He's not, he's not a natural attacker, is he? Yeah, that's it's an interesting one. I did feel a little bit sorry for Mikhailo Madrick in that sense that he didn't really have the support of a natural fullback, um, which made his job on the left flank a, a little bit more difficult. To be honest, I'd, I'd almost look to flip the question around. I think for me... I'm not picking the team, but it's not Silva whose place is under threat. I think he remains Chelsea's best centre-back. For me, it would be Dizassi who uh, who would move out of the side. Silva would go to the right-hand side. Cole would step into the left centre-back role and Chilwell would play left-back. But whether you know Chelsea and Pochettino do that with Dizassi, who's still kind of finding his feet, he's a new signing. He's 25, I think, so he's obviously a bit more of the future of the club. And it remains to be seen, particularly with no Europe, you know, I'm not sure where else his games will come from, but but for me, I think as Silver's still fit, I think he still showed that he can perform in a back four. I wouldn't be looking to drop him. The other thing I think Chelsea missing from Cole will playing at left back is Cole's passing from left centre back, where playing a left back, you can tell he's not comfortable there. You can tell there was there was one run in the second half where. He was trying to sort of do the the Ben Chilwell thing, sort of broke down the left hand side, and tried to cross, and it 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 just wasn't very convincing. There was also a moment where he was played in, ran, ran towards the penalty area, and, and instead of shooting, he sort of tried to square it. So I think they're really missing Colwell as a as a passer. He, he showed he showed in pre season. I feel like I keep saying about pre season, but he showed some lovely passing in pre season. I think there was even a pass, maybe in Liverpool game opening day, where it was an absolutely sublime pass, you know, about 50 yards into Jackson's path. So I think they're missing him. There's also the option, of course, of Disassi moving to right back because that, that's where he can play for France too. But people question whether Gusto should be dropped. But if you're Pochettino, perhaps there's an element of he wants that extra height in there because... That's why he plays the three of them, because uh, if you look elsewhere around the team, Chelsea aren't very tall. So maybe it's a 
worrying about set pieces kind of a decision. That's why he plays all three of them. Yeah, I think I think on the on the left footed point, it's something that really struck me about this Chelsea team is that you know on from the starting eleven against Bournemouth, Levi Cole was the only left footed player in the eleven. I think I've mentioned before that that really restricts the passing options, not just from defence but a whole all the way around the team. And again, kind of looking at Arsenal and Manchester City up the pitch, they have quite they have a variety in their in their forward line of left footed and right footed players, and I think that helps, even though it's a very minor detail. I think that helps when you're trying to build attacks. It, it makes you less predictable. Um, it also offers something different from set pieces because it gives you the opportunity to do in-swingers and out-swingers. But I think that is something that Chelsea were lacking. Um, you know, Cole Palmer on the bench as well and, and Nani Madueke to come back will help that. But it's a bit of a weird thing about this Chelsea side. They didn't really have many left-footers. Mm, well, Ben Wabadiashil is, is one of those and he's supposedly... Close to a return. Who knows? We might see him and Dizazi together, as was the case for Monaco for the first half of last season. Simon, was there any mention post-match about Noni Madueke and, and Moises Caicedo and, and how long they'll be out for? I, I saw the, the word knock used to describe Caicedo's injury, which um, always infuriates me because it's a catch-all term that basically means nothing. <laughs> um he said that Madweki, uh, nice jinx for me, having written about him with uh, his personal skills coach, that he'd come back from England under twenty ones with a with a muscle in- injury, but didn't, as Pochettino tends not to, do, didn't sort of really give a time frame. Uh, with Casado, he said come back with a with a knee knee problem that he was going to be assessed today, as in Monday. But it, the the implication, I think, pre-match was he sort of said it was minor. I actually got told that that he also got back from international duty very late. So maybe there's an there's an element of that that you know he came back from international duty late and they perhaps a little bit of discomfort and they decided not to risk him. So we shall see. Certainly uh, reaching out to to find out if there is anything more to it because. Um, it would be a big story if he's ruled out for for an amount of time because that's the last thing Chelsea needs is another injury. Mm, yeah, certainly. Uh, let's hope there are some players back available for the game against Aston Villa on Sunday. We'll preview that on our Thursday pod. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, 
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, if you've kept on listening, hoping for some good news at this point, we'll catch up with you on Thursday. Uh, the under-21s lost 3-1 against their counterparts from Lyon in the Blues' first game in this season's Premier League International Cup. Jimmy J. Morgan had given the Blues the lead in the first half, but Lyon scored thrice without reply after the restart. Probably didn't help that half of that squad were on the bench at Bournemouth on Sunday. Uh, the under-18s also slipped to a 3-1 home defeat. They were beaten by Fulham. What a joyous pod this has been. Um, Simon, peppers up a bit with some plugs for yours and Liam's joint piece on how Chelsea have become money-saving experts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it's um, essentially it's talks about chips going up in price by 45p. <laughs> I also got told that um, Chelsea have a measuring device to make sure that not too many chips are put in at each serving, although Chelsea in response to this, said that this has happened for a while. I don't know, because I'm too busy serving my own chips in the press room. Um, but yeah, you can understand the frustration that price is going up through the boards, and then you hear about things like lions being thought about built. Can you hear that? They're being built now. <laughs> yeah, lions being built outside Stanford Bridge. Two lions. I mean... That will definitely get the uh, that will definitely get the fans admiring, roaring, roaring. Thank you. Sorry, I'm distracted by the hammering that's going on. <laughs> uh, my house is falling apart. Um, so yeah, I think like the match little things like the match day program going down in in page size but going up fifty p. In saying that, I'm under the impression that that the program made a hundred and fifty thousand pound loss last season. So if you're running a business and these guys are businessmen, you can understand that they're sort of going, right, okay, well, we may lose money here, losing money there. Da, 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 da. Let's change this. The problem that everyone's going to have, of course, is, yeah, but you're going off over here and spending over the odds for players that aren't doing anything on the pitch. It's going to be very hard to mesh. And, of course, the reason why Liam and I sort of timed this piece was because of the the ending of the, the coach subsidy, um, the Chelsea Supporters Trust did it as a one-off special for the Bournemouth game. My, how were they? They were rewarded. But, you know, it's a very sort of testing time for everyone with, in their lives. They're finding uh, making ends meet difficult. And now here's more prices to pay on top of it. And they're watching their team underperform. So it's not a very good marriage. Well, hopefully it's going to improve. Uh, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up. If you aren't a subscriber, that is the best way for you to support our podcast. It only costs you £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Luke, anything that we should be looking out for on The Athletic, either now or, or upcoming? I mean, if if you didn't catch it last week, um, the agent survey uh, was a really, really cool read. Although Chelsea won, um, I use inverted commas, the uh, which Premier League club had the worst window. Um, I think Chelsea fans may may enjoy more the uh, which was the worst deal of the window um, in which Kai Havertz to Arsenal and Mason Mount to Manchester United were numbers one and three on that list. Although Kai said it was number two, so maybe ignore that bit. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, as I say, go and head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod if you want to sign up to read that stuff. We will be back on Thursday. Looking ahead to the weekend where the season really starts and Chelsea get a thumping win against Aston Villa and all as well in the world from that point onwards. Join us for that if you can. Until then, thanks to Simon and to Luke and to Lucy for cobbling this all together and you for your perseverance. It will get better, I promise you. It might not be for a while though, uh, but we'll be here to talk you through this season, however it shakes out for Chelsea. Back on Thursday then. Catch up with you then. Bye for now. The Athletic.